and welcome to Flashes of DEI, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My name is Brie Molitor. My pronouns are she, hers, and I am the project director in DEI. And my name is Katie Matice. I use they, them, their pronouns, and I serve as a director in DEI. We wanted to use this episode to explore and gain a better understanding of the concept of bodily autonomy. To help us do just that, we have a few fellow flashes with us on the podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Okay, I'm Suzanne Holt, and I am the women's studies uh, person. And uh, though I love all pronouns as an English major, I am going to select she and her and hers. All right. Well, hi, friends. I'm Dr. Lori Wagner. I'm an associate professor of health education and promotion over in the School of Health Sciences. Thank you both so much for being here with us today. We know this is a really busy time, so super appreciate you being willing to spend some of that precious time with us uh, and share some of your knowledge. So I know Brie and I are super excited to talk with you all about this. You ready to dive in? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so before we get too deep into the conversation, we were hoping that y'all could give an overview of what bodily autonomy is. Um, so as a health education specialist, I think it's probably not shocking that we tend to focus on the body in a pretty specific way, um, though we do look at a you know core group of dimensions of health ranging you know the entire spectrum of what health might be related to and encompassing. but to keep it simple, it's just pretty much from my perspective, a, a conversation or a, I don't know what we would call it, a phrase mm -hmm. <laughs> that refers to an individual's um, right and authority over the space that they take up in the world. Hmm. So whether that be how they present physically or choices that they might want to make about that presentation or the living choices that they might make within themselves, but it's really just an all-encompassing uh, conversation or element of, you know, what does an individual have authority over in their own physical space? Hmm. Well, I can follow in that tailwind uh, fairly well, I believe. I would contextualize bodily autonomy um, as fitting neatly into the puzzle of, of, of democracy. And uh, to me, the question at the heart of that is how do we, the presumed we of we the people, make this work? So the, the question of I and me and mine and my body, mind, person, that autonomous part is um, clearly the I govern myself piece. Mm. Uh, I make my own best decisions for me and mine, but I am one, just one of the people. So I, I think that contextualization of putting um, personal and bodily autonomy into uh, a country the size of ours uh, makes it go from a, a fairly simple given, like, well, of course, one would have bodily autonomy to this negotiation which I think is where um, the trouble has always lain for, uh, for those people that are not instantly part of like us, the people. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, and can I add just one more quick thing? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, here we are having a conversation. So one of the thought I had is that bodily autonomy is finally an abstraction. It's a, a phrase, it's words, and 
uh, as I believe Lori's kind of pointing out, bodily autonomy ultimately finally comes down to flesh, bone, blood, nerves. And that always leads me to the question, which I think is a question that haunts human history, is how have our words thus far managed the tasks of world making and running worlds that are fit for shared habitation? So um, I think even now, as we engage with the phrase personal autonomy and the other words that bring in, uh, we have to kind of like answer the, the follow-up question, which is how do words then translate into any kind of reality um, that we hope to see? How do, how do words become a lived eventuality? Hmm. That sounds like a, an episode for another podcast. <laughs> 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 That's a deep question. Yeah. Well, it makes me think about the first, like, I'm going to go for it because I'm not a parent, violation of autonomy, right? Where we name our child <laughs> and we perhaps sex or gender them, right? We don't ask their opinion about mm -hmm. their identification, obviously, because they don't have the intellectual capacity to contribute to that conversation just yet. But mm -hmm. I think that's just an early beginning, right? That then creates a pathway for some of us that yeah. is rough yeah. or easy depending on and then all the choices that go into that as well i mean i i like the idea of contextualizing with it, it within a society or a culture but also within a family you know mm. do we let our young people choose their own hairstyle and clothing do we let them you know it starts i think pretty early the ingrained nature of when are we in control of ourselves and when do we have to seek some outside or authority figures consent before we move. Yeah. I think that leads kind of into our next question pretty well. So, cause our next question is um, asking either of you, if you could talk about how bodily autonomy relates to equity. Sure. I mean, that's kind of why we're here, right? I mean, we could have this conversation at any point in time, but living in this moment, <laughs> in this state, mm -hmm. and in this political climate specifically, I think it's become a much more pressing concern. And the conversation has become a little bit more um, unsafe for a lot of us in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, when we own that space or when we seek that recognition of ourselves, you know, is that going to be welcomed? <laughs> Are we going to be given a space or allowed a space? I hate to talk about equity as something given, but um, right. here we are. Yeah. Um, you know, where we have to then, some of us have to work a lot harder <laughs> at claiming authority over our beings than others. And so to me, that becomes the heart of an equity question. Anytime there's something being doled out, there's somebody handing it out, and then there are those of us receiving it. And for me, that's the bottom of the equity conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I'm, I'm going to just slightly sort of adjacent route and, um, and say that I think part of the mystery of why it is that bodily autonomy has become an issue for some where it, it really isn't for others um, points out that so much of what we talk about in context, a, a DEI a podcast or like in a women's studies class or umpteen other places is that, that we're talking about something that is has arisen in a deficit situation. Um, those whose rights and their 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 inclusion in a in a in a group or or their relationships more or less equitable uh, in a, in any given context. The people that are that are 
discussing this with, with real passion and commitment are those people that exist in a, in a deficit situation, whether it's a long-standing deficit situation or one that, that comes down to a moment of cultural backlash like the one that we're, uh, we're currently in. Um, it, it, it kind of like raises the, uh, the matter of what brings us here, which mm. I, I think is what Laura's saying, what brings us here to this moment? Why have we lit upon this phrase uh, bodily autonomy and do we um, find that that very different than say um, the the man who's losing his mind over having to wear a mask uh, in the workplace, or or the the man who just hypothetically thinks the Second Amendment is going to go away? That that when I say bodily autonomy, to me it means something that I desire and is precarious for me and for other people that I care about. Uh, for him, it's a given, and he's going to hold on to every inch of it. So I think bodily autonomy is what you'd expect if the arrangement between us lived up to its promise. Mm. Uh, this notion that 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 we are like born equal, and we you know we live in this uh, democratic situation where we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, blah blah blah, all of that. So you would expect us all to have bodily autonomy. The fact that we don't um, makes almost any conversation that's not among peers, um, uh, one of those, I mean, I hate to use the he said, she said, but it is a, what I'm, I'm seeing is the table. Let's presume there's a table because we like that, that metaphor that, that we all want to be at a table, We're all coming to the table. Sometimes these parties crash site. So it's kind of like an invitation to a head-on collision where we all seem to be going to the same thing with the same interests. But in fact, that's a bit of a mirage um, that those people that already have the rights they want are not terribly interested historically this is i think you know pretty pretty uh, uh like batting a thousand people that have rights mm -hmm. are not necessarily interested in people that don't have them yeah i mean that uh what y'all are saying leads directly into our next question because some of the conversations that are happening on the larger community larger societal level um, like around reproductive rights or gender affirming healthcare and all those sorts of things and how this conversation has been going on, I'm sure in many spaces long before uh, it's hit the level that it has today or the consciousness across the US that it has today. So could you talk about how bodily autonomy is showing up in these spaces and showing up in these issues or any other ways that you might see it showing up in these larger scale conversations? Sure, I mean, for me, I think it started, it's always been present, but I think it started heating up when we started um, taking a look at these equity conversations a little bit bigger, right? Where we started mm -hmm. to decide that and have more heated conversations about, you know, where does my authority over the way I want to live my life stop <laughs> um, because it's impeding on someone else? And, you know, in health ed, if we look at it from like a public health viewpoint, you know, here again, we've been having the, the conversation from the very beginning. I think it's interesting that you bring up wearing masks. You know, I know that's something for the last few years that. I've been frustrated with that a person has an opinion about wearing a piece of cotton over their face mm -hmm. <laughs> to prevent potentially spreading a deadly disease, um, but then has some more permissive <laughs> feelings about parts of my body and what I'm doing with them, mm -hmm. you know, and has, has opinions about that. So I, I think about it in 
a number of different ways. When we see um, young people trying to go to prom and having some principal deciding whether or not they're dressed appropriately or whether or not my hair is appropriate, you know, whether they're going to cut locks or tell me that my um, hairstyle, mm -hmm. you know, dreads are somehow inappropriate and therefore controlling how that looks. Um, and then we get to this bigger space that I think you are wanting us to get to where we start to talk about reproductive rights uh, in terms of, you know, do we have the authority to discern um, our readiness and willingness to engage in parenthood and whether or not our bodies are being accepted in the way that we want them to be or we think that they should be. And so I think part of what Susan was saying earlier too, for me, is a a privilege component that mm -hmm. I think it's important that we point out, you know, I think it, within public health and in health, we don't, we talk about paternalism and when we feel it's appropriate to interfere with other people's autonomous choices and when we don't, you know, and we restrict a whole bunch of things, right? Like right now, restricting our ability to terminate a pregnancy or to choose the appropriate contraceptives or to seek gender affirming healthcare, you know, is that an answer? Yeah, I don't know I if mean, that was an messy. answer or a question. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's messy. That sure seemed like an answer to me. Okay, good. Um, well, and I understand for other folks, it's complicated because when we want to talk about reproductive rights, you know, some of us, just to speak the other for a second, um, would I think argue in this conversation because they're not in this room that they perhaps care about the bodily autonomy of the unborn fetus or zygote, if you know, if we want to get scientifically accurate here. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that can be complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so I, one of the things that, that what you're saying uh, kind of jogs in, in, in my thinking here is that we exist in a, in a situatedness that involves a lot of uh, let's call it a compact of trust um, between the people that are like more in charge than we are. And I, I, I think what often happens to us is we, we find ourselves at the mercy of people that have like our good at heart, find ourselves at the mercy of people that um, quote that's uh, of Abigail Adams saying, remember the ladies. I mean, there, there, there's always a group of people making massive decisions and we find ourselves maybe unaware of exactly the nature of our situatedness until it's tested. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people that are surprised uh, that, like, say, if they get pulled over by a policeman, they expect that all to go well. There won't be like a tragic end to that. That's the expectation. So to find yourself in harm's way suddenly is a violation of those expectations. And I think that that we, from the time we're children, this goes back to, you know, Lori's point about uh, naming children, we're, we're used to relinquishing a lot of our full autonomy. Hmm. It's like a heavy thing to like think about. Well, and I think it's a, a just a little bit broader, not to conflict with my colleague, because we're also routinely circumcising penises, you know, so I think there's a lot of this that we mm. comply with as mm -hmm. a society and as a culture. And when we point it out, even, you know, in my human sexuality class, people get very sensitive when I start talking about the fact that that's a violation, you know, to remove someone's foreskin without their mm -hmm. consent, especially because it's medically unnecessary and they get a little defensive. There's some defensiveness, you know, that sometimes I'm fine. It's fine. I'm not mad about it. I don't miss it. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. 
And it's like, but you don't know that. And so I like what Suzanne's saying about this idea that we often don't recognize it until someone's trying to like take it away from us um, or mm-hmm. deny it to us. Yeah, I think that's an important one everything's fine till it's not fine kind of thing. But I also think there are some unconscious or subconscious ways in which we comply that also I think are worth pointing out, especially because if I worry just a little bit that when we pigeonhole an issue into a certain demographic or group's problem, it becomes a little bit trickier to get the people who don't belong in that demographic or that, that group uh, to buy in as well. Um, and so I don't mean to like make it so broad that it's everybody, but I do think it is everybody no, on some yeah. level, you know, and I think that brings us together a little bit closer. If we start to rethink the lines that we've drawn about when is it appropriate and, and when isn't it? Yeah. I mean, y'all are making me think, uh, yeah. Dr. Wagner, when you first started talking about like children and bodily autonomy and what clothes, I was like, oh my gosh, that is bodily autonomy, right? Like, uh, yeah. And as our friends have children, because I, like I said, I didn't do it myself, you see there's different parenting styles where they're like, well, that's what they want to wear today. Or, and then there's like, no, absolutely, you're not leaving the house in that kind of parenting. Yeah. Right. And like, what's the big deal? How do they cut their hair? What color is it? You know, so on and so forth. And it, it becomes important because we start talking about it in my field when we talk about preventing um, sexual violence among young people, you know, it takes mm-hmm. us to that larger conversation about like requiring our kids to kiss grandpa, even if they don't feel like it or right. Right, mm-hmm. teaching them to, to, to deny that what they want to do with their body is up to them because we don't want to be embarrassed or like hurt grandpa's feelings, you know, yeah. whatever the reason is. Yeah. And I think this also, again, leads super well into our next part, because we had the question of if there are any misunderstandings or misconceptions about bodily autonomy that you would like to speak to. And I think this kind of helps also broaden what we think of when we think about bodily autonomy. Well, one of the things that I that occurs to me as we're uh, sort of navigating through this is one of the profound reasons why we do give up Maybe it's that you've joined the army or maybe it's that you've joined like a, a particular uh, religion or maybe it's that you're um, part of, a, of an institution that is going to, to ask you to wear your clothes in a uniform manner or mm-hmm. cut your hair in a uniform manner or um, like belonging to a, a group or a family or, you know, or, or a particular um set of, of, of humans has, has often required us to do what's necessary to be part of we mm-hmm. or of us, which I think takes us back to that, that contextual matter of how do I negotiate I, me, mine in a context of we, ours, and us. And then once you start to think about all of those different groups that are not securely into the large uh, body of us, then that gets even more complicated. But I, I do think that 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 negotiation between like what I want to do and to what family or group or school or team I want to belong has many of us making a, a kind or I should say undergoing a kind of balancing act where we balance our personal our bodily autonomy with a kind of compliance that that gives us the perk mm. of belonging. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess when I'm thinking about misunderstandings or misconceptions, and this is a place where I live in the mud, (laughs) I'm always, I really appreciate what was just said, because for me, it is that consenting nature, right? I might do this a little begrudgingly, but because I've joined this space, you know, that's part of the authority I'm, I'm giving up um, over myself. I I guess I just get caught in the, like, why another person would be so invested in my body (laughs) and Mm -hmm. autonomy. You know, I, I, the debate breaks down for me with folks that want to control it with regard to how I'm actually harming anybody um, by making those choices you know, and, and to me, I hear just echoes of that larger, like society is going to go to hell if we stop, if we throw out all the rules, mm-hmm. you know, I think about like the marriage equality conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was having this with my niece the other day, who is 10. And I said, I people, it's called a slippery slope, but they went straight to like, well, if you can just marry whomever people are going to want to marry their dogs. And I understand the importance of intellectually interrupting that argument, but I also don't care. And I don't see how that affects me or my marriage or my understanding of marriage. And so I feel like at least in my adult lifetime, which is, doesn't go all the way quite back to the eighties as an adult, but I'm going to take it all the way back to the eighties and like political thought and reform in terms of when we started thinking our way of seeing things needed to be preserved and then like attacked on such a level of, I mean, where people are literally murdering other people because of these conversations, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, that's where I, I'm not illuminating the misunderstanding or misconception yeah. because if I could, I could fix a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just really struggle with why it's anyone's business, um, some of these issues and how it actually interferes with our ability to still live in a communal or quasi communal, you know, way. I I just, I don't understand that piece at all. Um, If anyone has an answer, I'd love it. (laughs) That made me, that made me think about one other, and I guess I'm going to call it a myth is that I think there is a myth that we are somehow really threatened by other people's bodily autonomy. And Mm -hmm. Um, So the myth is that we think we're talking about something they're doing, but it's affecting us. And I, I mean, in, in psychoanalytic theory, they, they talk about this, this abjection where something that someone else is doing gives you this overpowering experience of disgust or like where you want to just sort of spit them out. They, they kind of just like, it really threatens you and you think it's about them but it's really about you. So I think one of the the things that goes on here relative to bodily autonomy in in a democratic context is there are reasons why people experience threat, like why someone is threatened by two women marrying each other or why someone is threatened by a a woman who would dare to have an abortion. That, That gives some people such an overwhelming sense that their way of being or their 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 own ego is is under siege mm-hmm. so I, I i think that that's a very real thing and his history is full of pretty ugly examples of of the 
violent uh, consequences of people that are overwhelmed by an emotional response to what someone else does. Yeah. I feel like these are really, really good questions and really good, I don't know, things to think about. Um, I was wondering if there are any resources that either of you would shout out for people wanting to learn more about bodily autonomy or reflect more on it or any other things that you'd like to share before we wrap up. Uh, I think it's really useful to uh, look at some of the uh, the reasoning that went on in Roe v. Wade, and I think it's uh, uh, rather fascinating to look at uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, uh, reservations about uh, Roe v. Wade, especially knowing what we know now. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I do think that that partly we're at the mercy of what we don't know when it comes to the matter of bodily autonomy, uh, because we live in a grid where uh, we're um, kind of subject to uh, other people's decisions. So mm -hmm. we can say that we want to make decisions for our own body, but we're already living in a grid that is full of, of uh, terms and conditions that we either haven't been asked to sign on for or we've inadvertently signed on for. So I do think looking at the, the, the rationale for some of the, the major decisions that have affected this matter, uh, whether we see it positively, negatively, or just to kind of muddy the waters or clarify them, uh, I think getting into the discourse that justifies um, our laws and policies is, is really um, illuminating. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would just add, um... From my own perspective, I consistently challenge myself to think about the ways in which I help perpetuate the system and ways in which I help to destroy it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so just pausing to think about, you know, especially when we're shooting ourselves or we're shooting other people, um, questioning, you know, the space from which that is coming and, and questioning its relevance <laughs> and its meaning before asserting it, you know, just to try to, again, pull out of this cultural experience of, you know, forcing our beliefs and our ideas and our feelings onto other people. Um, mm -hmm. So to me, I, I agree. I think it's a lot of introspective work that people need to do to understand, you know, why are they so whatever the emotion is about someone else's choice? Yeah. Good questions and, and hard questions to sometimes ask ourselves. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, joining us and sharing and quite honestly raising more things for at least me to think about <laughs> uh, in the in the coming days and weeks and everything. And I want to thank also everyone for tuning in and listening. If you're interested uh, in learning more about us here in DEI, you can check out our website, kent.edu slash diversity. And if you've got a topic you'd like us to discuss, feel free to email us at diversity at kent.edu or connect with us on social media. We are at DEI Kent State across all platforms. And we'll see you next month with a new episode. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs>